The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. In recent years, we've seen one unicorn after another go public. They tend to have two things in common, high valuations and steep losses. Now, however, it seems the appetite for them on Wall Street has changed. I'm Jeffrey Kane. I'll be your host on this episode, filling in for Alex Ewell. Welcome to The Readback. Today, I'm joined by Jack Howe, whose recent Streetwise column in Barron's looked at stumbles in the market for IPOs and where we go from here. Hi, Jack. Hi, how are you? Jack, your most recent column for Barron's Magazine this week was headlined, A Trip to Cashburn Alley. Is that a place I want to go to? I don't think you want to stay there longer than you have to. You've heard of the path to profitability. So I, I pity anyone who spent the past week or two playing a drinking game where they're taking a shot of bourbon every time they heard that phrase on financial television because that's all everyone is talking about lately. They're talking about it in connection with the WeWork IPO. WeWork is withdrawing its IPO prospectus. But it is still badly in need of cash. And soon, Bernstein forecasts that the company is burning through $2.8 billion a year and that it will run out of money in the first half of next year. Year. That's only a few months and now the Peloton IPO, which happened but didn't get a great reception once it started trading. Like other unicorns, Peloton is growing rapidly and it's losing a ton of money. It debuted on the NASDAQ, $27 a share. It priced last night at $29 a share. And as you see, it closed at $25.76. So 11% below its IPO pricing. Now- Suddenly, investors are a lot more cautious about this path to profitability, these companies that are growing revenues quickly, but who might take years before they start to generate profits. We have had companies that have been quite successful in the market, for example, Netflix, which uh, burns cash. Why are investors now becoming so skeptical? This year, first of all, we have – it's not a flood of IPOs in terms of the number of deals, but there there is a flood – of companies that are not profitable and have large market values coming to market. And that's creating an oversupply of story stocks, if you will. So investors are becoming pickier about the stories. And second, this falling interest rate backdrop. Earlier this year, I, I predicted a flight to nonsense. I thought, here comes the kind of stimulus that's going to cause people to have good feelings about bad decisions. They're going to buy expensive stocks. I thought Bitcoin will be the bellwether. And sure enough, Bitcoin began running. um, And many of these lower quality stocks uh, began doing well. And we were looking ahead to this year of um, IPOs for these companies that don't make money. And in the column, I made light of, you know, all all sorts of iffy business propositions about how I was going to create a company and bring it public and and make oodles of money. It hasn't really happened. We've had an outbreak of common sense. It seems in general like these lower interest rates are not creating the type of stimulative effect that we might have hoped for. And there are a lot of people around the the stock market who are saying this effect has its limits. Like we've kind of taking this thing to the extreme, the thought that we could bring interest rates back down to zero and suddenly get better growth and get the next leg up for the stock market, it's not necessarily going to play out that way. 
Now, it remains to be seen whether it will happen for the broader stock market, but certainly investors are not, it's not an anything goes attitude on the part of investors. They're becoming choosier in terms of um, the quality of companies they want to buy. I don't know how long it'll last, but while it's happening, you better be careful about buying into these IPOs of companies that aren't turning profits or buying into these companies that have been on the market a long time and aren't yet profitable. So, Jack, when you talk about a path to profitability, there's a number of concepts involved with that, including free cash flow. Walk the listener through understanding what that is and what that says about the health of a company. Free cash flow is actually a very simple measure. It's much simpler than earnings, which is what most investors focus on. If you have a uh, what in some parts of the country you'd call a corner store and some parts you might call a bodega or whatever, and you've ever seen a mom-and-pop operation where they have a cigar box there and they're putting the cash in and they're taking the cash out, whatever is left in the cigar box at the end of the day, you know, that's your free cash flow. It's actual cash that's coming in the door that you can use to spend on things. So for companies, it's a very important measure typically for bond investors because they want to know you're going to be able to, to make good on your payments. Stock investors like to tell a story about a stock. So they usually look at earnings. And what you do with earnings is you try to match up expenses and revenues in a particular quarter as though they occurred in the same quarter, even though they might not have. You might have very lumpy expenses, a huge one-time payment. You might collect revenues for that over a long time period. So when you talk about a company's earnings in a particular quarter, it's not necessarily real money. I think that stock investors ought to look at free cash flow especially when we're dealing with these young companies that are on this path to profitability. A company that's not generating free cash, that number's negative, we say they're burning cash. Um, and it's all about how long they're going to burn cash before they start generating free cash. Right. So I, I guess an important point about that is it's not necessarily the amount of dollars that's in that cigar box, but investors want to see that it's growing steadily quarter over quarter, year over year. Yeah, they want to see that. If you're burning cash, they want to see the rate at which you're burning cash is lessening over time. Goldman did this study of IPOs, thousands of them over a period of many years. And they said, what are the characteristics that predict successful stock performance after a company goes public? And very fast sales growth is a good thing to have. But they also found that the most successful ones turn profits within three years. So two of the biggest names to come public this year, both in terms of the size and in terms of how uh, much people know them and use them, have been uh, Lyft and Uber. The stocks of both companies didn't do well on their debut. Do you think that has changed the way people think about new stocks? In the case of these, uh, the ride-sharing companies, Uber and Lyft, you can look at the trajectory of the estimates, right? Uh, these are companies that are not expected to generate free cash right away. But in the case of Uber in particular, the estimates have been slipping. They've been getting a little bit worse. And I think investors don't like to see that. Investors no longer want to see companies that are gaining large numbers of customers but are selling each incremental unit at a loss while they're doing that. They're, they're not interested in, in stories of companies scaling up over a period of many years before they reach those profits. We mentioned Netflix uh, a little bit earlier. Do you think that investors are questioning whether that model of winning market share at any cost might be of detriment to the company? I think so. And and Netflix and Tesla, I, I consider the blue chips of La La Land. Like if you're not interested in these right now, you're probably not interested in these other newly public, less proven companies. Netflix is 
hugely successful in terms of winning subscribers. And by the way, it's a great deal for subscribers. They're selling it for less than they're paying. They're going to burn $3.5 billion in free cash this year. Um, they're going to burn free cash for years to come. And those estimates have been slipping. That, that, that window of when they're going to become profitable is getting longer and longer. And we're entering a period now where Disney's going to come with a streaming service in the beginning of November. Warner Media is going to outline its its plans at the end of uh, October for uh, HBO uh, Max, their streaming service. Every television company is coming with a competing service. Many of them cost less. And my point on Netflix is that it's not going to get any easier from here for the company, and it is going to get harder because there's going to be a cap on how high it can raise prices, and it's going to be paying more for content. You're a little bit skeptical about some of these new stocks, but are there some that you think can avoid the trip to Cashburn Alley and emerge uh, without being toast? <laughs> I noticed that Snap, I haven't been, I'm not a big Snap bull. I tend to be suspicious of anyone that goes up against Facebook. But Do you use Snap? I, I'm, not, I'm not a Snapist, Snapper. I'm not, I'm not a Snap user. Snapchatter, I mean. Snapchatter. But I notice if I'm going to use you know my own metric that I've been talking about, what I would want to see is... When does this company go from burning cash to generating free cash? And what's happening with those estimates? Are they getting better or are they getting worse? I noticed that with Snap, the estimates are actually getting better, that the more information it rolls in, the more investors think, hey, this company might turn to positive free cash generation sooner than we expected. And that's a, that happens, not coincidentally, to be a stock that has really worked well lately. That stock's on a tear. Much discussion in past years about the uh, growth and power of the private markets versus the public markets. In other words, the venture capitalists and private equity firms and private investors that finance a lot of these companies. Now that they come to market, it seems that public investors are, are the ones being rational and being more examining these companies in a, in a much closer way than their backers had. It's interesting that you say that. The deal with private markets, the deal with private equity, let's say, is you're supposed to get better returns than you could get in public stock markets, but you have to lock up your money for a long time. So it's a pain in the neck, but we're going to compensate you for it being a pain in the neck by giving you better returns. That means that you're supposed to buy at a cheaper price to begin with, right? There's supposed to be this discount that you receive for going into private equity. But uh, people who track this stuff look at the valuations and they're saying, we don't really see that big of a discount anymore for going into these private equity markets. In fact, we've seen money flood in there and we're seeing quite lofty valuations. So, Well, WeWork is probably the most dramatic example. A company that had been valued its last fundraising, I believe, back in January at $47 billion. Incredible. <laughs> was going to go public at something about $20 billion, according right. to reports. And then there were even reports that said it could be valued at less than $10 billion. Yeah. And, and now, of course, WeWork has pulled the IPO, for now at least. Back then, it was a tech, big data, cloud, this, that company. And then everyone suddenly scratching their heads and saying, wait a second, they're in the commercial real estate business. I know other companies who do that. It's not such a you know lucrative thing. I think prices are um, prices have become more elevated in private markets, so, and so maybe they're running into trouble selling some of those deals. Not every asset out there, but keep in mind the backdrop: people are starved for growth right now. Right, money has flooded into growth mutual funds because they've outperformed value for so long. So growth managers are desperate for something to buy. Show me anything that's growing out there. Now the companies out there that are growing their profits. Those have already been bid up in price. And so 
hey, if I can't get profit growth at a reasonable price, show me something else that's growing. Show me companies that are growing revenue and maybe those profits will come down the road. And so, you know, that's where we got to. We got to sky high prices for companies with some of which have dubious plans for generating profits. I think that's a very important point. And I think that also suggests that perhaps the IPO market could revive in 2020 once we get past some of these uh, disappointments for investors. There's nothing to say that the IPO market can't pick up and do better from here. It's just that I think this might be a shakeup that makes its way through the whole system where, you know, now when you're going to raise early stage capital and you say, here's my business plan, I've got a great plan for winning customers. I'm going to win customers by pricing this service or good way below the costs that I'm actually paying to get my hands on it. I think you can have investors saying out there, you know what, there's not tremendous demand right now for that type of model when we bring companies public and, and, and I want to be careful about putting money into that in early stages. So eventually you might just see, you might see a continuation of a healthy IPL market, but just higher quality companies, a return to a state where maybe half of the companies that are going public are profitable instead of where we are now, which is closer to a quarter. Right. In a state or a place that's far from Cash Burn Alley. <laughs> that's right. In our business where we try to predict things that are going to happen to these companies, there's always the question of, were you right looking back? And it's two very different things, being right about a company's ability to generate free cash and being right about what happened to the stock. We're doing financial analysis on companies like Tesla and, and Netflix. And, and there is every possibility that you could be right on a piece of analysis about a company's ability to bring in cash and be totally wrong on what happens in the stock because investors become more forgiving down the road. I think what we're seeing now is for the first time in a long time, investors are becoming less forgiving on some of these companies that aren't generating cash. Whether that's going to continue, it, there seems to be something serious to it. So I expect some of this to stick, but we don't know. We don't know investors' behavior next year or the year after. That's what makes this so interesting. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you, Jack. You can read Jack Howe's Streetwise column on Cashburn Alley in the latest issue of Barron's, and, as always, on Barron's.com. I'm Jeffrey Kane. The show is produced by Meta Lutzhoff. The Reback will return next Wednesday, and so will Alex Yule.